podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast, Thursday the 9th of December, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network that allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, Sky Go, whatever it is you want to access, whatever it is you're geo-blocked from, you can change your location, access your stuff and keep your data safe. Use the code EPL599 to get your first month for just one quid. That's $5.99 off for the first month. Goes to $6.99 thereafter, but there's no contract. So if you don't like it, no harm, no foul. Just cancel it, and it's all done and dusted. Instant download from the Liberty Shield site. Liberty Shield are the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, so do check them out. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use RED10 on Anfield Index to get 10% off. Use EPL10 to get 10% off the EPL shop. Whole new, new line of mugs up on the EPL Index shop, which you must check out. Some of them are just incredible. You've got Ruben Diaz, Bakayo Saka, Hyungman Son, Rafinha, Stevie Gerrard, Marcus Rashford, Emile Smith-Rowe, and many, many more. So do check those out if you need that last-minute present for somebody. Or maybe you just want a mug for yourself. Check them out. EPL Index on Etsy. Right, folks. You'll have to excuse me for stuttering my way through that. I turned around and looked out the window, and a fog has descended upon my house. That looks like it may well bring some sort of plague of frogs or something. But we'll ignore that for now and jump right in to Champions League action from last night. Where we had Zenit St. Petersburg 3, Chelsea 3. Chelsea went one up through Timo Werner. Zenit fought back and were 2-1 up at half time. Claudinho and Sardar Ausman with the goals. Big Romelu Lukaku putting Chelsea on level terms before Werner put them in front on 85. And then a 94th minute goal from Magomed Ozdayov gives Zenit the draw and calls Chelsea top spot in the group. Chelsea end up finishing second in Group H, which is a blow because it means they now have to face a group winner. And they can't play Manchester United, which would have been the weakest of the group winners. They can play Lille. They can play Bayern. They can play Real Madrid. Or they can play Ajax. That's it. 
They can't play City. They can't play Liverpool. They can't play United. Lille, Bayern, Real or Ajax. Ajax and Bayern, along with Liverpool, the most impressive teams. Through the group stage, winning all six of their games. Real won five of their six, but they did have quite a favourable group, other than Inter. I mean, I know they lost to Sheriff Tiraspol, but that was more embarrassment than anything else. Sheriff, Sheriff and Shakhtar, Real were always getting through out of that group. So, Chelsea have made things tough for themselves. You really wouldn't want Bayern Munich in the next round. You really, really would not want that at all. Um, Juventus end up topping the group then. Juventus beat Malmo 1-0. Moise Keane on loan from Everton, who, you know, could have done with a striker who can score goals in recent weeks. Uh, he gets the only goal of the game. And Juventus top the group. In Group G, Lille beat Wolfsburg 3-1 in Germany. Burek Yilmaz with the first, Jonathan David with the second, Angel Gomez or An- An- Angel An- Angel Gomez. I don't know. He's he's English. He's former Manchester United academy player. He had a goal and an assist. His first Champions League goal and assist. Tremendously talented player. Bit on the small side, but starting to make a real impact for Lille. Uh, Renato Stefan with the consolation goal for Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg bottom of the group. Off they go into the wilderness. Lille, top of the group, 11 points. They'll go through as group winners. And they'll be quietly confident with a couple of the potential draws that they could get. I think the ones they'd like to avoid would be Chelsea, obviously, and PSG. But I don't think anyone else will scare them too much. In the other game in that group, Salzburg beat Sevilla 1-0. Noah Okafor with the only goal of the game. Disappointing for Sevilla to end up out of the Champions League. They'll drop into the Europa League now. And knowing Sevilla, they'll probably go and win it. Because it's, you know, it's what they do. Um, But they'll be very, very disappointed not to have progressed from this group. Going into the competition, I think they'd have been seen as favourites to win this group. But they only won one of their six games, and frankly, they deserve to be out. In Group F, Manchester United drew 1-1 with Young Boys. A very much changed team for United, with Ralph Ranić deciding to rest pretty much everybody. Uh, Dean Henderson started in goal. Aaron Wan-Bissaka came in at right-back. Eric Bailly and Nemanja Matic at centre-back. Luke Shaw started at left-back. He's just back from... Some concussion issues. Donny van der Beek played a weird kind of holding midfield role that didn't suit him at all. Ahmed Diallo started left wing. Juan Mata and Jesse Lingard as the kind of twin number eights. And Ilanga started on the... Sorry, Diallo started on the right wing. Ilanga started on the left wing. The young Swedish kid. And Mason Greenwood up front. Mason Greenwood scored... United's goal after nine minutes, and then Fabian Reeder equalised on 42. It was a nothing game. United were through already, so this was just about resting some players, giving opportunity to some players, and there were some wonderful, wonderful moments in this game. So Tom Heaton, at the age of 35, finally makes his Manchester United debut in the Champions League. Great to see. Uh, Taden Menji, who United fans tell me is very, very talented, 
He came, comes on. Shola Shortire, very highly rated, comes on. Zidane Iqbal, born in the UK of Iraqi descent, the first South Asian, I believe, to ever play for Manchester United. Uh, he gets his debut, as does Charlie Savage. Charlie Savage is the son of Robbie Savage. And Robbie Savage was on commentary last night and got to introduce his son coming onto the pitch. And I don't have much time for Robbie Savage, but this was a really nice moment. And you could tell it really meant the world to him as a really proud father. He said before the game, he'd done nothing to help his son. Everything he'd done was off his own back. He said that, you know, he never got the opportunity to even make the bench for United's first team, that he wasn't good enough. I will say in the, in defence of Robbie Savage, he came through at a much stronger time when United had a great, great first team. You had to be really special to get that first team call. If he came through now, he'd probably be starting for them. Um, but it's an amazing achievement for Charlie Savage. Fair play to him and Zidane Iqbal. What an amazing night for both of them. And something that nobody can ever take away. United topped the group. I think a lot of the group runners-up will be looking at United and thinking that might be the draw we want. Uh, Villarreal and Atalanta was postponed last night because of snow in Bergamo. It will take place tonight at 7pm. Winner goes through. Loser ends up in the Europa League. If it's a draw, Atalanta are the one in the Europa League. Um, young boys go out. They did themselves proud, though. They did themselves proud. They got a win over United in Switzerland. They got a draw with United at Old Trafford. They finish on five points. They weren't embarrassed. They weren't run off the pitch at any point. So, fair play. Through they go. Through they go? No, home they go. Um, speaking of home they go, Dinamo Kiev were embarrassed routinely in this competition. Uh, they are bottom of Group E, beaten by Benfica last night. Good performance from Benfica and a 2-0 win. Yaromchuk and uh, Gilbert Morris Jr. with the goals. Game was over and done after 25 minutes. Nothing more to talk about there. But there is something to talk about is Bayern Munich 3, Barcelona 0. Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané and Jamal Musiala giving Bayern the 3-0 win, giving them their perfect record in the competition and sending Barcelona into the Europa League where they belong. <laughs> Genuinely, where they belong. In six games in this group, now, admittedly, Bayern are one of the four best teams in Europe. You've got City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Bayern. And I think they're probably a level above everybody else. You might put PSG in to complete a top five or Real Madrid, depending on your point of view. But I think there's that four and everybody else. However, Benfica are good, not great. And Dinamo Kiev are flat out bad. And it does speak a lot to the state of the Ukraine, excuse me, the Ukrainian league right now, where Dinamo finished bottom of the group one point from six games. 
and Shakhtar finished bottom of their group two points from six games. Between them, they scored three goals and conceded 23. Ukrainian football has been shamed by their two top clubs this year. Regardless of that, Barcelona scored two goals in six games. Two. That is appalling. They beat Dinamo 1-0 both times they played them. They didn't score against Benfica in either game. They didn't score against Bayern in either game. That's a little bit shameful. A little bit shameful. You'd be you'd be a tad embarrassed if you were Barcelona. How are they so poor? I really don't understand. Like I get that they lost Messi. But there's still good players there. Like you look at the team that started last night. Marc-Andre Testegen, two years ago, was one of the three best goalkeepers in the world. Now he looks like football is entirely new to him. Ronald Arreo is a really good young defender. Now, admittedly, he's playing out of position last night at right back, but he's still a really good defender. Gerard Piquet was a good but never great defender. Very good ball player, never a great defender. But he is, he's fallen off a cliff. Time for him to be moved on. Clement Langley, good, never great. Not really Barca quality, but a solid enough defender. Jordi Alba for a time was one of the best left backs in the world. Like in midfield, you've got Frankie de Jong, who they paid 70 odd million for and should be one of the best midfield players in the world. You've got Sergio Busquets, maybe the best defensive midfielder ever. Admittedly, He's not at the same level, but he's still a good player. Gavi is already a Spanish international. He's one that's highly rated and hyped up beyond belief. Serginho Des played right wing. That boy is a fullback. Why is he playing as a right winger? And you've got a centre-back at fullback. Why are you doing that? That's ridiculous. Memphis Depay is a, a quality player. A quality player who they're wasting. And Usman Dembele is one of the most talented players in Europe. They spent over 100 million on him, and he has never developed at that club. Ricky Puig is a talented player. Yusuf Demir is very talented. Neto's a decent backup keeper. You can only play one. Phil Coutinho, they spent nearly 150 million euro on. Um, he's on the bench. Luke de Jong, why is he at the club? Oscar Manguisa, I do like him again. He can play right back. Why is. Ronald Arreo playing there when you could play Manguisa there and move Arreo into the middle. Samuel Umtiti, who is persona non grata at the club because he earns too much money and refuses to take a pay cut, which is his right. Uh, Eric Garcia, I'm not even sure he's a football player. Inaki Pena, young player. Nico Gonzalez, young player. Like, there's enough good young players here, not necessarily to beat Bayern, of course, but to get more than two goals from six games. Do you know, to accomplish a little bit more than the bare minimum. That's an appalling return for Barcelona. And they should hang their heads in shame as they drop into the Europa League. Mess. Absolute mess of a club. So tonight then, we have one Champions League game, Atalanta Real, And then we've got a whole bunch of other stuff. So... 
Sparta Prague play Bromby and Leon play Rangers in Group A. Now, if Sparta win by a couple of clear goals, they can advance. I believe. I could be wrong. Anyway, Leon are top on 15 points. Perfect record so far. You'd expect them at home to beat Rangers unless they rest everybody. Uh, Rangers second on seven points. Sparta third on four points. Bromby bottom on two points. Bromby are out. Sparta can, st- I think they can still qualify. I do think they can still qualify. I could be completely wrong, but I think they can. Anyway, moving on to group B then. You've got Monaco top of the group. PSV second, Real Sociedad third, only two points between PSV and Real Sociedad, and Sturmgratz bottom. In the group, Real play PSV. So Sociedad win that game, they will go through. Monaco are already through and they'll play Sturmgratz, which should be a fairly comfortable victory for them. In group C, Eintracht Frankfurt are top on 11 points. Olympiacos second on 9. Both of those are true. Uh, Fenerbahce are on 5 points. They're gone. Antwerp bottom on 2 points. They're gone. Fenerbahce play at home to Eintracht. Antwerp play at home to Olympiacos. And in group... Sorry, that is group D. I missed group C. Group C, Leicester are top. Spartak Moscow are second. One point behind. Napoli are third. One point behind. Again, one point behind Leicester. And Legia Warsaw are bottom. Two points behind Leicester. So anybody can still qualify from this group. Leicester play in Naples. While Legia Warsaw play at home to Spartak Moscow. If Napoli win. And the other game ends in a victory for either team. Leicester are out. Leicester will be out of Europe if Napoli beat them. And the other game is won by either team. So, not great for Leicester. Not great. Napoli will not be a nice place to go tonight. That is the seven, four, sorry, the 5.45 kickoffs. Those eight games, all 5.45 kickoffs. Then we have Group E, Galatasaray top 11 points, Lazio second on 8. Both of them are true. They don't need to worry. It's just about seeding now. Uh, Marseille, 4 points. They're gone. Locomotive Moscow, 2 points. They're gone. Uh, Locomotive Moscow play in Marseille. And Lazio play home to Galatasaray. Again, like I say, both teams through. In Group F, Red Star Belgrade are top. On 10 points, Braga of of Portugal, second on 9, Mitteland third on 8, Ludogorets bottom on 1. They're out, but any of the other three can still qualify. Mitteland play Ludogorets in Ludogorets, so they have an advantage. They should win that game. And then it's a straight shootout between Braga and Red Star. Braga are at home, so that does give them the advantage. That should be a decent game of football. In Group G, Leverkusen are top 13 points. Real Betis are second on 10 points. Celtic third on 6. And Ferenc Varos bottom Nipois. Uh, Leverkusen and Real Betis are through. Celtic play at home to Betis. 
while Ferenc Varos are at home to Leverkusen. And finally, in Group H, West Ham United, top of the group, 13 points. Dino Zagreb, second on seven. Genk, third on five. Rapid Vienna, bottom on three. Rapid Vienna are out. Genk play Rapid Vienna. That gives them an advantage. A win there will give them a chance to qualify. But West Ham, you don't imagine, will play much of a team against Zagreb. So maybe Zagreb can sneak a victory there and see themselves through. But either way, some action to be had in Group H, Group F, Group C, Group B, and Group A. None of the qualification those groups yet confirmed. We might as well do the Conference League, even though I probably won't know who half these teams are. Uh, Lask of Austria, t- top Group A, on 13 points. Maccabi Tel Aviv, second on 10. HJK Helsinki, on 6, they're out. And Alish Kirk, they have no points, they're also out. So it is Lask and Maccabi Tel Aviv who are through. Lask play HJK and Alish Kurt play at home to Tel Aviv. Uh, nothing matches, but they do need to be played. They will be on at 7, sorry, again, I can't speak, 5.45 tonight. 5.45 those games. Uh, in Group B, Ghent are top 10 points. Partizan Belgrade second on 7. Flora, who are from Estonia, I think. Flora Talon, is that right? And Anatosis are on five points like Flora. So Ghent are through, but any of the others could still qualify. Uh, Ghent play Flora at home, and Partizan are home to Anatosis. You would expect Partizan to win that game and get themselves through comfortably. Uh, Group C, Bodo Glimt are top on 11 points. Roma are second. On 10, those two are through. Zoria Lahansk. Lahansk? Luhansk? Uh, they have six points. CSKA Sofia have one point. So Roma and um, Bodo Glimt are through. Zoria are home to Bodo and CSKA Sofia home to Roma. Mourinho could probably do with the win, though, because things aren't going great at Roma for him. In Group D, AZ Alkmaar are top 11 points. They're through. Randers are second on seven points. Jablonek are third on six. And Cluj are bottom on one. So Cluj are out. It is Randers or Jablonek for the last group stage. Jablonek play away to Cluj. That gives them a bit of an advantage. Whereas Randers have to travel to Alkmaar to play AZ. Group E, Feyenoord top 11 points. Slavia Prague second on seven. Union Berlin third on three on six. And Maccabi Haifa, Maccabi Haifa bottom on four. Union play Slavia. Winner takes all. It would be great to see Union Berlin continue their European journey. It really would. What a, what a wonderful club. Um, and in the other game, obviously, Feyenoord play at home to Maccabee. Feyenoord should win that game fairly comfortably. Group F, Copenhagen, top on 12. Slovan Bratislava and PAOK, both have eight points. The Lincoln Red Imps, no points, but it is just about to take, taking part, really, for them. Uh, PAOK home 
to Lincoln Red Imps. Copenhagen home to Slovan. So Copenhagen and PAOK, likely the teams that will qualify. Group G, Ren top on 11, Tottenham second on 7, Vietas Arnhem third on 7, Mura out on 3. Um, so Vietas play at home to Mura. Tottenham were meant to play at home to Ren, but that game has now been called off. And it is difficult to see where that game can be fit back in. So this may well be that Tottenham have to basically just take the defeat. They may well have to forfeit the game and see themselves out of the competition. Not necessarily a bad thing. Ren are furious. They are in England and weren't told until last night that this was a possibility. They've said that they will uh, reserve the right to appeal. Um, Wren believe they should be allowed to play. Tottenham do have 13 fit players, including a goalkeeper. So they should, by UEFA law, play the game. But this is not normal circumstances. COVID is obviously not something that we're used to dealing with. It may well be that Tottenham just have to forfeit the game. Wren get a 3-0 uh, victory. And Vitas will beat Mura and go through. Or even get a draw and go through. <laughs> Um, it's not a bad thing for Spurs. It's less games in a cluttered schedule. It's more time on the training field for Antonio Conte and the players. So it would not at all surprise me if, if Spurs were happy enough. There's, there's no money in this competition. So they're only annoying themselves really playing it. So Spurs may well be happy enough to be out of it. Um, it's, look, if they just beat Mura last time out, we wouldn't be having this conversation. They wouldn't need anything else. But, you know, they got beaten by Moura. So it is what it is. Um, in Group H, Basel are top on 11 points with Karabeg equal on 11 points. But Basel have the more goals scored is what it is there. Um, AC Ammonia are second. Sorry, they're third on three points. Karat are Bottom and one, it is Basel and Karabag who are through. And wouldn't you know it, they play at home tonight. Or they play at home. They play in Basel tonight. Um, with the other two, Ammonia and Karat, playing at Ammonia's ground. Wherever that is. Um, genuinely couldn't tell you who. AC Ammonia. I genuinely don't know who they are. AC Ammonia. They've got a Shamrock, so that's a good start. Uh, they're a Cypriot team. Oh, Ammonia Nicosia. Okay, okay. Yeah, fair play. Uh, they are a Cypriot team. So, yeah. Pretty similar badge to Panic and Ithos, isn't it? Very similar badge to Panic and Ithos. Formed 40 years later. I wonder, is there a connection? If anyone knows if there is a connection between um, Panic and Ithos and... AC Ammonia Nicosia. Do let me know, because I'd be quite interested. I'd probably read up on it later on myself. But 
you know, you can always help me out there. Uh, right, we're going to take a break after all that rambling. That is the Europe, the European wrap-up slash semi-preview slash rambling slash information splurge. I don't know. I'll see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So it is Thursday. We do have some questions, so let's get into these. Um, Sev999, is, um, is Aaron Ramsdale England's number one? Um, on current form, probably. I think Dean Henderson and Nick Pope are England's two best goalkeepers. I wouldn't be massively keen on any of them. I think Henderson is the one that has a chance to be really good. Pope can be very good, but he's a bit inconsistent. Um, I wouldn't like to be mortgaging my future on Aaron Ramsdale. I'll just say that. Uh, DeLangstar. The future of Joe Gomez appears to be unclear at the moment. I love him. I'm praying he can get back to the level he was during the title winning campaign. My question for you is how do you predict his career will play out? Joe Gomez sustained one of the worst injuries a professional footballer can sustain when he tore his patella tendon. Now, Joe has also suffered an ACL tear and a couple of other pretty bad injuries. So he may never get to the level that he could have gotten to. I think if Gomez had had no injuries and was able to just play in Max's talent, Joe Gomez would have become a world-class defender. He has everything you'd want. But injuries have really stalled his career time and time again. He had a broken leg as well at one point. I think he stays at Liverpool for the rest of this season. It wouldn't surprise me if he moves on in the summer. It wouldn't surprise me if Joe Gomez leaves Liverpool next summer. I think there'll be a queue of Premier League clubs who will want him. You know, you look up and down the league, there's not many teams that a fit Joe Gomez doesn't start for. He starts for Chelsea. He's better than any of Chelsea's centre-backs as an individual centre-back. And he's actually perfect for a back three. He starts for West Ham alongside Zuma. He's perfect for Tottenham if they play a back three. And that could be a landing spot for him. Uh, he's better than Harry Maguire. He's better than Ben White. He's better than, better than all of Wolves' defenders. He's better than all of Brighton's defenders. He starts over Tyron Mings at uh, Leicester. If Rodgers wants to play a back three at Leicester... Uh, sorry, he starts over Tyron Mings at Villa. If Rodgers wants to play a back three at Leicester, he's perfect, but he'd also start for them in a two. Um... He'd be perfect for Benitez, but Liverpool won't sell him there. He won't go to Brentford with respect, but you know he would walk into that team. He'd walk into the Palace team, the Leeds team, the Southampton team, the Watford team, the Burnley team, the Newcastle team, and the Norwich team. And he would be comfortably the best defender at all of those clubs. He would be the best defender at all bar Tottenham, because Romero is better. 
United because Varane is better. I think Gabriel is about the same level. And Konza is better. But he'd be better than anybody else at any of the other clubs. The only club he doesn't start for outside of Liverpool is Manchester City. Because they've got Diaz and they've got Laporte. Now, I think he's better than John Stones. But I don't think he starts for City. The rest, he starts for. So, I think he'll go somewhere and it all just depends on injury. If he stays fit, he will be a starter for England. I'd love to see him go to Villa and partner with Konza because I think that could be England's starting centre-back pairing. I think Konza is England's best centre-back and a fully fit Joe Gomez may even be a little bit better than Ezri Konza. But he's certainly number two to Konza. Ahead of Tamore, ahead of Guehi, ahead of Godfrey, well ahead of Slabhead. You know, well ahead of Slabhead, well ahead of Mings, well, well, well ahead of Connor Cody. Um, I'd love to see him at Villa. I think that could be, that could be an interesting move for him. Now, I don't know if they'd have the money, but Villa or Spurs would be the best move for him. Spurs would be the bigger, you know, bigger attraction because he's from London. Him and Romero as two thirds of back three would be really, really good. But him and Konza at Villa could be a lot of fun. They came through Charlton, Charlton's academy together as well. So they know each other very, very well. They've likely played together at underage quite a bit. Um, Joe Gomez is May 23rd, 97. Ezra Konza is October 23rd. So there's five months between them. You'd have to assume they were in the same age groups. And Gomez was at Charlton from 07 to 2015. Esri was there from 09 to 2018. So they've got a long time overlapping there. You'd have to assume they played together quite a bit in the... um in the Charlton Academy. Charlton at that same point also had Adamola Luckman, Carlin Grant, and Nick Pope. I think they had all five of them at one point. Don't they never they never all played together at senior level, I know that. Um but they had five players, four of whom could be England internationals. Because I think Adamola uh, I think Carlin Grant could have been an England international if he had had a slightly better bit of development from sort of 21 to recently. He, he's kind of stagnant. He's had a decent season, but uh, he probably won't reach his potential. Adam Oluokun, I think, will end up playing for Nigeria. He's very talented, but he's a little bit inconsistent. But Gomez, Pope and Konza, I mean, Gomez and Pope have already played for England. Konza will. I'm rambling now for no reason at all. Anyway, yes, that's what I think happens with Joe Gomez. I think he moves on in the summer. I think he goes on to have a very good career. But I don't think he'll have the career he should have had, if not for the injuries. Uh, Do you think there's any possibility of Liverpool making a move for Joe Felix? I hope so. I don't know, but I hope so. Um, 
James, thoughts on the Ginny Wijnaldum situation? Would you have him back on loan, assuming it's a real possibility? Uh, I don't think there's any truth to it. I think he is going to stay at PSG. I think a lot of the talk of his unhappiness is more wishful thinking from certain sources than anything else. But yes, I would absolutely take him back at Liverpool. Um, Chris Colby, follow-up question to your comment about Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Who do you think would be the right fit for him? And who could be in for him? So there was a... Carl Matchett posted on Twitter, Ter Stegen, what has happened to you, mate? Constant mis- misjudgments like this. Okay, not quite like this for a long time now. Uh, and I said he needs a fresh start, has to get away from Barcelona in the summer. I would say Inter Milan could be a really nice fit for him behind a very good back three in a solid team that's been together for a couple of years. I think Inter Milan would be perfect for him. Change of scenery to a club with not a whole lot more stability in terms of we don't know what their finances are, but nowhere close to the upheaval that we've seen at Barca. I think all of that has just affected Testeg, and he's also playing behind. I mean, Jordi Alba was very good. Like I said, he was one of the best left backs, but he's washed. Pique's washed. Langlet's not very good. They won't play um, Umtiti. Arejo gets stuck playing right back. Minguis is not in the team. He's playing behind Cabbages. I, I would say put him in behind a good team. I think he'll I think he'll right himself. Um, so I think Inter Milan will be perfect for him. I think he'll have offers, though. I do think he'll have offers. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Juventus were in for him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some Premier League clubs that were interested, like Spurs. But I would say Inter's the best fit. KOR99, a question for the podcast. In your opinion, what was the best World Eleven of the 90s, 2000s and 2010s? Right. Um, 90s. Let's, let's get some. I think, to be fair, Peter Schmeichel was probably the best goalkeeper of the 90s. Um, right back I'm going to say that Panucci was the best right back of the 90s centre backs I think Jurgen Kohler and Billy Costa Curta no yeah, yeah. Over the course of the decade we're talking about. So, you know, Beresi obviously was incredible, but his best years were in the 80s. He was very good in the early part of the 90s, but he was, what, 36 by the time 94 came along. Um, so he, I think he missed like half the decade. So Jurgen Kohler played at least up until 08, or until 98, I think. Uh, Costa Kurt played the whole way through the decade. So I'll go with him. Maldini's the obvious left back. Um, in midfield, Redondo is a no-brainer. I think you've got to have Loudrup. 
I think you've got to have Haji. I'll go Romario and Baggio as my front two. While acknowledging that or 9 should probably get the nod, he didn't play the whole decade, so he'll be in the 2000s team without question. I need one more in midfield. Um, I'm going to say Albertini. I know I'm missing people. I mean, it's hard to not have Lothar Mateus. See, I would like to play a sweeper with Mateus Zammer because he was one of the best players that I saw in the era. And I might just do that. I might just put Zammer in there because he won European Football of the Year at one point during the decade, won a Champions League, won multiple league titles with Dortmund, won the Euro, Euro 96 uh, with Germany and was the best player in all of those times. So I'll go Schmeichel. Uh, Panucci and Maldini as wing-backs. Zammer as a sweeper behind Kohler and Costa Curta. Redondo and Laudrup in midfield. They played together in central midfield for Real Madrid. Uh, Georgie Hadji behind Romario and Baggio. Nod of the cap to Risto Stoichkov, who probably should be in the team, but there's no spot for him. I think Hadji, I would have Hadji over Stoichkov. Um, there are a lot of players I'm leaving out, but this is hard to do when you do it on the fly. Um, 2000s, I mean, Buffon is the, the clear and obvious choice in goal. Zanetti is the right back. Um, I would still say Maldini was the best left back, but I can see an argument for, he says he moved into the center late in the decade. I'll go Ashley Cole as the best. Left. Do you know what? In the 90s team, I'm making a late change. I'm dropping Panucci and I'm putting in Dennis Irwin. I know he played right back or left back for United, but he could play right back. He was right footed. Dennis Irwin was better than Panucci. Um, so I'm putting him in. Um, and I feel bad leaving out Roy Keane. So I'm going to, I'm going to remove Hadji and I'm going to put in Roy Keane. So I've got Keane and Redondo in midfield with Laudrup as the, the 10. That's what I've got. Uh, these are my teams. So, you know, they are what they are. Um, yeah, Zanetti. So my centre-backs are going to be Lillian Turam and Alessandro Nesta. Zanetti and Cole as my full-backs. Uh, I've got Figo. I've got Zidane. I think you've got to have Kaka. The Kaka or Ronaldinho. Kaka or Ronaldinho. I think you go Ronaldinho there, don't you? So you go Ronaldinho. And I'm putting in Ronaldo. The real Ronaldo, not the show pony. Um, so I need a couple in midfield. Vieira is absolutely one of them. Um, Sinetti, Turam, Nesta, Cole, Figo, Vieira. Feel bad leaving out Rivaldo because he absolutely was one of the best players of the decade. But 
it is what it is. I am going to say Seydorf is an interesting one. I think Xavi. I think you've got to go Xavi, to be honest. Uh, in the 2010s, let's put Messi in. For certain, I think you've got to have Lewandowski. The show pony has to go in because fair is fair. Cristiano is one of the best players of the decade. Um, goalkeeper is a weird one. Emmanuel Nauer is the is the answer. Yeah, Emmanuel Nauer is the answer. Oh, Suarez over Lewandowski. Yeah, 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 yeah. Suarez. Yeah. So I've got a front three of Messi, Suarez, and Cristiano. Messi is going to do the creative stuff. Suarez will do all the running and the madness, and Cristiano will pout. Uh, in midfield, it is Iniesta, without question. It is Busquets, without question. The third midfielder is interesting, though. Do you go Tony Cruz? I think Cruz was great for more of the decade than Xavi. Go Modric, but I think Tony Cruz makes more sense. Yeah. Um, best left back of the decade was David Alaba. Best right back of the decade. Danny Alves, good shout, guy. Centre-backs. Centre-backs of the decade. See, Mats Hummels was really good up until he wasn't, and he fell off a cliff. Sergio Ramos definitely not getting in any team of mine. Vincent Company has to be one of them. Vincent Company and Thiago Silva. That's who I'll go with. Vincent Company and Thiago Silva. So for the 90s, I've got Schmeichel, Irwin, Kohler, Costa Curta, Maldini with Zammer sweeping behind them, Redondo and Keane with Laudrup as the 10 behind Romario and Baggio. In the 90s, I've gone with a 4-4-2, well, a box midfield type of job. Uh, Buffon, Zanetti, Turam, Nesta and Cole. Vieira and Xavi as my two in midfield. Figo and Zidane as my attacking midfielders. Ronaldinho off Ronaldo. I don't think I'm missing anybody there. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Oh, well. Uh, 4-3-3 for the 2010s. You've got Manuel Nair in goal. Danny Alves at right back. David Alaba at left back. Vincent Company and Thiago Silva as your centre-backs. Tony Cruz, Sergio Busquets, and Andreas Iniesta as the three in midfield with Cristiano and Messi either side of Suarez up front. Uh, so that's that one. Um, AMK2889, you talk about how Messi's in your top five greatest of all time, and you even mention him in the top three at times. What is your top five greatest list? And if Messi is number one, would winning a World Cup put him on top? If it does, would him, him having a very poor tournament affect him moving up the list at all. See Argentina won and they could have done so to Messi playing. 
look, there's there's nothing that's ever going to change my mind that Diego Maradona is the greatest player that's ever lived. Nothing. Because I have seen Lionel Messi's entire career and as incredible as he was, his very, very best, for me, in my opinion, was short of Maradona's very, very best. What Messi has is longevity. If you look at the title of the best player in the world, nobody has ever held it for as long and as undisputably as Lionel Messi. Messi has been the best player in the world since 2009. And now is the first time that that's really in dispute. This is the first time ever that it's been... It was never a dispute with Cristiano. Messi was always better. There were more disputes over whether Cristiano was actually the second best player in the world as to whether Messi was the best. Because there was years when Iniesta was better. There was years when Suarez was better. And there's been years when Lewandowski has been better. So it's actually more of a debate who number two is than who number one is. Number one is settled. From 09 to 21, Lionel Messi was the best player in the world. Maradona's time as the best in the world was probably like 85 to 90. And then his personal life started to fall apart and, you know, he had some issues. Um, then you had Laudrup, then you had Baggio, then you had Weah, then you had Ronaldo, the real one. Then you had Zidane. He probably had the title for about four years. Then Ronaldinho, then Kaka, then Messi. And think how long ago it is since Kaka was the best player in the world. 2008. 2008. Messi's been the best ever since. You know, before Maradona, you had Platini, you had Cruyff, you had others. But never for this length of time. So that's what Messi has over everybody else. But nothing will change my mind on the fact that I think Diego Maradona is the greatest player that's ever lived. My second point on this is I think we far too often look at attackers and not defenders. And I look at Paolo Maldini's career and what he did for 20 plus years as a world-class defender. And I don't think anyone's matching that. So Maldini's in my top five. Laudrup's in my top five, but that's admittedly a bit of bias because he is my favorite player of all time. Messi is in there and Zidane is in there. And that's my top five. And they fluctuate in order from two to five. Well, no, two to four. Laudrup is five. Maradona is one. 
And depending on the day of the week, Maldini, Messi and Zidane rotate between two, three and four. But nobody's ever touching Diego. Ever. As incredible as Messi is, nobody has ever had just complete command of a football the way Diego Maradona did. And as incredible as Messi has been, he will never... Messi's had massive advantages that Maradona did not have. Stability of environment, nutrition, training methods, the quality of the pitches, the rules all being massively skewed to favour attacking players. When Maradona played, teams set out to kick him up in the air. Go and watch England versus Argentina in 86 and watch how England kicked him up in the air time and time and time again. So when they cry about the hand of God, look at the fact that in today's game, four of those players would have been sent off. They would. Four of them would have been sent off. So Maradona will always be number one for me. Uh, Isaac Gilding. From current players only, I would like you to build Frankenstein's perfect football monster. So you take... Someone's left foot, someone's right foot, someone's left leg, someone's right leg. Um, okay, okay. Right. The left foot is messy. Because it is. The right foot is Lewandowski. The left leg is Erling Haaland. If you could produce the power that Haaland does with the precision of Messi, you would score about a million goals a season. And likewise, the right leg will be Cristiano Ronaldo. Because he has an incredible ability to, to generate power. He just has very little control over his shots and distance. Um, in terms of a footballing brain, then, from current players, I have a very hard time looking outside of Thomas Muller. I think he's the most intelligent player in the game. I think he does everybody else's thinking for them and lets them get on with the running and stuff. Um, in terms of, I suppose, lungs, you know, uh, lung capacity, um, N'Golo Kante. In terms of heart, determination, desire... Casemiro would rank very highly for me. Very, very highly for me. There's a bravery to that fella that is incredible. 
So I'll go Casemiro. The body, the overall thing, it's Virgil van Dijk. To be that big, that powerful, that quick, that graceful, that in control, is incredible. And for mentality, in the current game, I think, I'm not a fan of him as a player, but Sergio Ramos's mentality is phenomenal. His leadership, and that's what I want from him, is leadership. I'm leaving him in the dressing room, but I want him in the dressing room. So I've got Messi's left foot, Haaland's left leg. Lewandowski's right foot, Cristiano's right leg. Thomas Muller's brain, N'Golo Kante's lungs, Casemiro's heart, Virgil van Dijk's body, and the mentality of Sergio Ramos. Um, yeah. How about that? Is that okay? Um, oh, he wants me to include the testicular fortitude. The testicular fortitude has to be. And in fact, I was wrong about her. The heart is Luis Suarez. And the testicular fortitude is Luis Suarez as well. Now, if I can't take two, I'll leave Casemiro with the heart. But I want the gonads of Luis Suarez. That's what I want. So, yeah, that's what I've got. Um, I do have one more question from Stephen Smith. And then we will be pretty much done for today, boys and girls. Uh, Stephen Smith, here we go. Okay, rank your top three in the world for each position as things stand. So we're going current form. Right, uh, goalkeeper. I've got Allison, I've got Oblak, and I've got Manuel Naur. They're my top three goalkeepers. Um... Uh, by current form now, I'm talking the last 18 months. I'm not talking the last 10 games. Uh, right back. Well, I might, might actually be talking longer, but you know you know what I mean. Right back. Trent is the best right back in the world. We shouldn't pretend otherwise. Um, beyond Trent. I mean, Reese James has been really good for 12 months, so I'll go... He's probably third. Hakimi would be second. So Trent, Hakimi, Reese James. Left back, Zhao Canseo. Alfonso Davies. Andy Robertson. Robertson would be second if not for the dip in form, but he looks like he's back to his best. Centre-backs, Virgil, Marquinhos, Virgil, Marquinhos, Marquinhos. 
I know he's had a bit of a rough time this season, settling into a new league, and he's had a couple of injuries. But I'm having a tough time overlooking Christian Romero. I'll go Christian Romero. Um, defensive midfielders. Fabinho, Casemiro, Kimmich. Central midfielders. Thiago, Goretzka, Gundogan. Attacking midfielders. De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, So and Bruno Fernandez maybe. Yeah, I think that's what I would go with. Um wingers. Leroy Sane. Serge Gnabry. I think I'm just going to put Phil Foden. Because he's playing mostly as a winger this year. And he's been sensational. Uh, Centre forwards. Lewandowski, Benzema, Lukaku. Wide forwards. Salah. Mbappe. Now I know he's playing more as a nine this year. But he has traditionally been more of a wide forward. Um... Salah, Mbappe, and Messi. Yeah, Messi. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I'd go with. Uh, and finally, pick two from the above to add to Liverpool's squirt, current squad next summer to best suit their needs. Um. Ooh, Bernardo. I would love Bernardo Silva at Liverpool. I think he's perfect. I think he's the perfect Klopp midfielder. So I take him and Josh Kimmick. Yeah, Joshua Kimmick. Bernardo and Kimmich. They're, they're, both of those, either of those, I don't mind. They'd be the two. Uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip and we'll be done for the day. Uh, Juventus and Wales midfielder Aaron Ramsey could be on his way to Everton in January with the Serie A side happy to sell the 30-year-old. They're not selling Aaron Ramsdale. They're giving him away for free. Because he's on 400 grand a week. He's always injured. He's been largely dreadful for Juventus. And his signing is one of the worst things that they've done. Uh, this news about Juventus selling him to Everton, which isn't true, uh, is apparently a blow to Newcastle, who would hope to make him one of their first signings. I don't believe that to be true either. Uh, Calvin Phillips will turn down a move to Manchester United in favour of Liverpool. I would like that to be true. I don't necessarily believe that it is. Several Chelsea players are unhappy that the club has not extended Cesar Azpilicueta's contract. 
with Atletico Madrid and Barcelona interested in the Spain defender. Um, what I will say is he is 32 years of age and he is past his best. And Chelsea have to be forward-thinking and look to the future. So I don't know that there's any truth to the fact that Look, I'm sure the players are upset, but I don't think they have to do it. I don't think it's something that they should be rushing to do. They've also got Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen to sort out before they sort out Aspilicueta. Um, they've got Thiago Silva out of contract as well this summer. Now, I don't know what the plan is, but I... I think they do have to be very careful with Aspilicueta. If he's looking for three years, you can't give him that. If it's one or two years, fair enough. But there does need to be a changing of the guard there at Chelsea. Real Madrid left-back Marcelo is set to end his 15-year stay at the Spanish club when his contract expires and rejoin Fluminense in Brazil. Good for him. Good for him. A hell of a career. Always slightly overrated, but a hell of a hell of a career. Uh, PSG are willing to consider loan offers for Ginny Wijnaldum. No, they're not. This is from a spoofer on Sky Sports who's wrong about absolutely everything, so ignore him. Um, Newcastle have settled on a five-man target list for the January transfer window, which includes Arsenal and Egypt midfielder Mohamed Elneny. Really? That would be an odd one. He's a decent player, don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure he's the type that will keep you up. So the short list allegedly is Elneny, who's the midfielder, Lloyd Kelly, who's nominally a left-back but can play centre-back, Joe Roden, who is a centre-back, Sven Botman, also a centre-back, not joining a team in a relegation battle, and Matthias Ginter, also a centre-back, also not joining a team in a relegation battle. Um, that list would make no sense. That is something somebody has made up. There's no truth to that list. There can't be. Any, if you asked any idiot to put together a list and they came back with that, you'd fire them on the spot because that's atrocious. Um, what, what position are you buying for? Are you buying a holding midfielder, a left-back, or a centre-back? If you're buying a centre-back, why is there a holding midfielder and left-back on it? And why are the two of the three centre-backs completely unrealistic? Everton boss Rafael Benitez dropped Luca Dina for the win over Arsenal after a row, and the France left-back could now be sold in January. Well... Wouldn't that sit well with the locals? Arsenal are plotting a move for Everton and Brazil forward Richarlison. I thought they wanted to score more goals, not less. Manchester United manager Ralph Ranić said he is looking forward to working with Edison Cavani. Great. Congratulations. Uh, David Moyes will prioritise signing a defender in January after injuries to Kurt Zuma and Angelo Agbona. They needed one anyway. The Hammers have been linked with Daniele Rugani. I struggle to see how he'd do in the Premier League at this point. 
He'd gotten him five years ago, maybe, but at 27, he didn't adapt well when he went to play in France. I I think he would struggle with the physicality of the Premier League because he struggled with the speed of the French League. Uh, he's never become the defender he promised to be. He looked like he was going to be a really big talent. Now, it is entirely Juventus's fault because they kept him for far too long, didn't loan him to the right clubs. And when they did loan him, it was just far too late. You know, far, far too late. Between 2015 and 2020, he was just sat on the bench for Juve, playing cup games, coming on as a sub, things like that. It very poorly developed. That is massively on Juventus. Arsenal are hoping to secure a deal for Dejan Kulosevsky. I don't see it. Besiktas want to terminate the season-long loan of Miralem Pjanic and send him back to Barcelona. I had forgotten entirely that that's where he was. Um, I'd imagine that he's on huge money. I'd imagine that Besiktas are paying a portion of that, but Barca have got to be paying the majority. And as things stand, Besiktas are ninth, ninth in the Turkish league, and and out of Europe. What a mess! So they were going well. They were top after six games. And they have now lost five of their last seven. Wow. Wow. And managed to take a sum total of zero points from their six Champions League games. Yeah, it might be time to send that one back. Flamengo want to re-sign Spanish centre-back Pablo Mari from Arsenal. Uh, but the Gunners technical director, Eddie, does not want to send, sell him to a South American site. That makes no sense. That's garbage. That's something that's been made up by some spoofer. Uh, it's from some Portuguese site as well. So we've got a Portuguese site commenting on a Spanish player at an English club, interest from a Brazilian team and a Brazilian sporting director. Nonsense. Uh, AC Milan have joined the race to sign Sven Botman. Sven Botman would be a really good signing for AC Milan. Him and Tamore would be a lot of fun. Nat Phillips has said he wants the chance to play more regular football. West Ham are considering a move for the 24-year-old. I would doubt West Ham have any interest in him, to be honest. But I do think he needs to move on. And if Newcastle want to put a, together a list of centre-backs to sign, well, then you go and you sign Nat Phillips. Because even if you go down, he'll be perfect for the championship. So there you go, Newcastle. I've solved your problem. I've solved Nat Phillips' problem. I've made Liverpool some money. My work here is done. I will see you all tomorrow. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.